Hey y'all, Corey here. Just wanted to give a quick note before we get into the episode this week. With Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, we are talking about a lot of difficult subject matter yet again. So off the top, we wanted to include a trigger warning for subject matter like physical violence, emotional violence, parental abuse, sexual abuse, sexual assault, incest. There's a lot of touchy stuff in here. And if that's something that you have difficulty with or difficulty listening to, um, this might be one that's worth sitting out, at least in the second half. I believe it starts around 45 minutes where it gets into that in specific terms. So just keep that in mind. There are also spoilers for Twin Peaks, the TV show in here, if that's something that bothers you. But more importantly, um, there is some difficult subject matter that we wanted people to know about before this got started. And anyway, with that out of the way, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And we are getting to another kind of huge, colossal series, very important cultural impact, cult classic, all the words that you can throw at a thing. It's kind of our our whole thing that every once in a while we check off a big box like early on we were doing like, okay, we got the Halloween box. We got the the Hellraiser box. I don't know why I'm putting Hellraiser there because we weren't as excited about that one, I think. But anyway, we're checking off a lot of boxes. And uh, this week we are checking off a really big one for me, especially as uh, this is something that once again, I had never really gotten to, which is we're finally getting to something Twin Peaks related. And we thought that it was only right to call in uh, one of our good friends and not only that, but somebody who is a self, I'm not going to, I'll let her say it however (laughs) she wants. I wasn't going to say specifically how she said it. I was trying to think of a good way to say big fan of Twin Peaks. And that's what we did. So Madeline is back on the show. Hey, Madeline, how are you doing? Hello. Corey was alluding to the fact that I am a slut for Twin Peaks. Yeah, and I definitely <laughs> couldn't get away with saying that, but you know, that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that would have been a f- way weirder intro, but that's what I was getting at because, yeah, I remember uh, I don't know how long ago it was now, but I guess it must have been around the Legally Blonde episode where we were talking about mm-hmm. getting some other stuff going, and yeah, we floated the idea of doing Twin Peaks, and then what happened after that was uh, I had a bunch of like internal discussions with myself, and I think I talked with you about it, Madeline. I talked with our friend Keiki about it. I talked with Mitch about it. I talked with Liam about it. I talked with a bunch of people where I was like, should I... My therapist, my parents. Yeah, you know, my (laughs) dog. And I was like, should I watch this movie, Twin Peaks Firewalk with me, before having seen the TV show at all and knowing a very small amount about it? And um, after some back and forth, we decided that, yeah, it was probably fine. So, the, so the here dog we are. was the only one that said you should watch the series. Yeah, and he's he's always been a bit of a purist, and it's kind of obnoxious, honestly. But yeah, so so here we are, and I think that Twin Peaks is. I mean, I'm certainly not going to be the best person to describe it, but it's one of those things that its appeal and like its long lasting appeal does seem kind of hard to describe. So you know, I'm what I'm going to do is. Is, uh, is defer to the experts. And so I'm going to open the floor here to both Liam and Madeline. Madeline, you can go first just as like 
an intro and like for anybody who maybe doesn't know or doesn't get it like a what is twin peaks but more importantly like what's your history with it why do you like it that kind of thing we'll start with that and then sort of gradually work our way in because it's very complicated (laughs) yeah yeah i'll start with my history with twin peaks um it's kind of a weird story like my (laughs) my little brother is like three and a half years younger than me but i feel like he's always been cooler than me like he always gets on things before i do um and yeah so i was in high school and my brother started watching twin peaks which means he was in like junior high or something so like i don't know that's pretty cool just yeah he just astounds me sometimes but anyways he like bought the box set and um yeah it was not too long after my parents got divorced. So we were looking for like, or I don't know, I can, all that I like remember about it was it was just like one of the things that I would do with my mom that made me feel like I was actually bonding with her. Like every, like for a while when my brother got the box set, we would like, we decided to watch the show together, like me, my mom and my brother. Um, And yeah, we just like watch it like maybe once a week on the same night every week. And like, I don't know, like we didn't even, my mom didn't even have a couch at this point. So we just like crawled into her bed and like watched (laughs) it on her little TV. (laughs) And it was just so wholesome. Yeah. So anyways, it was just like a fun little bonding moment with me and my family and my brother, especially. And then, yeah, I remember like when we would get towards the end of a season, um, like my mom like bought donuts or something (laughs) or like a cherry pie for us to like eat and like watch the finale. It's just really cute. Um, it's extremely yeah. cute. Is it like I don't know if it's just me and like I, I don't know like the show very well. But like it's really cool that like of all shows to be your family bonding show. Like <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. No, it was really nice, and I'm so glad that like my brother introduced it to me. And yeah, it was just like a really, really nice show, and I love how it's like. I don't know, like, it's simultaneously wholesome and also, like, there are, like, supernatural aspects. They're also, like, very serious, um, like, thematic aspects to it. Like, I don't know, like, like, rape and, like, just terrible, terrible things happening. But, like, it all happens within the same show and it all, like, like it does it harmoniously almost anyways i just kind of like it like only in a way that david lynch could could do it like it's i don't know yeah and agent dale cooper is just like such a great character i don't know that it would be like the same without him and without kyle mclaughlin playing him like it's just such a like wholesome beacon of goodness that like grounds the show even though it's like about a murder um yeah yeah so that's kind of like the basics of me and twin peaks but i love it very much and so and liam i know you've also got a bit of history there yeah i started watching the show late high school it might have been right after i graduated high school but the year before i was in university it's one of those wikipedia pages that i would always end up on you know because all throughout high school i was just a big uh, I just like sat on the computer all the time late into the night, right? Like reading Wikipedia pages and clicking from one link to the other and stuff. 
I did a lot of reading about movies um, as much as I did watching movies. And so a lot of the times I ended up on this Twin Peaks page and um, just the image that that's on that page. I think it's just the title card, um, you know, the sign. Welcome to Twin Peaks. I, I just I loved the colors and uh, the way it was described in those first few lines on the Wikipedia page. It's like a it's a soap opera with surrealist elements and that stuff all sounded so cool to me. Um, and it was our friend Keiki who really uh, kicked me to start watching it because he was finally um, watching it from start to finish in his freshman year of university. And he was relaying um, how how great a time he was having. You know, this is his first year away from home. Uh, it's it's a big moment. And um, the fact that he, he had this weird show to kind of to to watch while it was going on i think um it really stuck with him and so he was he was telling me all about it and so i thought i should definitely give it a shot so i i started as well and i immediately got hooked i mean i i think it really makes sense what you were saying madeline about how it's it's sort of weird that your family bonded around this show but i totally get it you know there's a reason this show was like a water cooler discussion for it's its first season because even though it is a Lynch production and there's a lot of weird moments, it's actually there's a there's a strong sense of humanity to it and also the ascent the um integral mystery that gets set up at the beginning of the show that you're in this small town and the prom queen has washed up on shore wrapped in plastic and a detective from out of town has to come figure out who done it you know that's that's something that most viewers can can get into really quick whether you watch soap operas or you watch crime television or you watch dramas uh thrillers it wraps all that stuff up in a way that you've never really seen it before and it's really easy to settle into the show because it takes place in this uh quaint quirky town and as you start to meet the people you 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 develop a liking for some and a dislike for others so there's reason to keep watching um just for these strange little moments and so um it's sort of a it's like a grab bag of a show and so I, I totally understand why it has such a cult following because you can watch it so many times through and and different stuff will jump out at you each time because it's such a weird experiment. You know, this this guy, David Lynch, who has done a whole lot of movies um, before and some movies since taking his his talents and his imagination to TV and, and pushing the boundaries as much as he can on TV is super interesting to see. Um, and then you have a novelist, Mark Frost, who's helping him along the way. And so maybe that's some, some of where the humanity is coming from and the essential mystery. And so it's just, there, there's a whole lot in the show. Um, I've, I've seen those first two seasons about three times uh twice just by myself because i love it and another time with my dad um my dad is a family someone... bonding show twin peaks <laughs> no yeah totally that's that's what i was thinking about as you were explaining it madeline i was thinking it's it's weird that i watched this with my dad because he uh he, he likes movies um and he likes tv but he's he's more of a straightforward tv guy uh he's not into the already weird surrealist stuff or or so i thought um 
and may and maybe I wasn't either. But then watching Twin Peaks is is a really good gateway into some of that stuff. And so we watched the first two seasons together in preparation for the third season. So this would have been about 2016 or so, because I think that's when the the return was announced and then it eventually came out in 2017. So we watched it together. I had no idea he was going to get so into it, but he did. And not in the level that like after every episode, we would discuss all the weird stuff we saw and break down theories and stuff. It, it wasn't anything like that. It was just we would watch it and then we would go our separate ways, but then we would keep coming back to watch the next episode together and and when the third season started the same thing that's a really really weird uh 18 hours or so of television and we didn't really talk about it all that much but we loved watching it together and um at this point now that i'm about six years removed from the first time i watched it uh this, it's just one of my favorite worlds to revisit and think about. You know, it's right up there with stuff like Calvin and Hobbes and Stephen King books and the music of Weezer, where it's just like, <laughs> where it's just like any anything that is created within this world, I'm gonna be interested in it. You know, I've I've read both the novels um, that Mark Frost put out. I I love the world building. I love all the characters. It's just. It's really it's 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 one of the best pieces of uh, media that's out there. I think I just I love it so much. It is super cozy, cozy television. I want to read your Calvin and Hobbes, Stephen King, Twin Peaks like slash fic mashup, like just yeah, with the Weezer soundtrack. Eh? Yes. Um, so Weezer would be down to make that soundtrack. Oh yeah, that seems like some extremely like Rivers Cuomo shit to do. Yeah, it does. Eh? Um, so, for you both, then, like, uh, were you already sort of familiar with like other work from David Lynch before watching Twin Peaks, or was Twin Peaks the way in to get watching some of the movies and stuff? Yeah, um, for me, it was kind of the way in. I guess the first um, Lynch movie that I had seen without knowing it was like I watched The Straight Story when I was like a kid. Um, which will, you know, it's not the first one that comes to mind. Uh, but yeah, it was kind of the way in. And, and then after that, you know, I got into like Eraserhead and Blue Velvet, um, Mulholland Drive and all of that. Um, so yeah, it was definitely the way in for me. And I, like, I'm such a, I love David Lynch. I'm obsessed <laughs> with that man. Do you, like, do you watch so- his weather reports? Yes, I do. I, 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 I was do. just showing Keiki those because I actually, I, I don't, I haven't seen a lot of his work, but what I have seen is like very weird and very small, and that's some of the stuff that I've seen from him. And I'm like, I love this. I love this weird <laughs> dude. who's just like, it's 17 degrees. Like, yeah, no, I am, I'm obsessed <laughs> with with this man. Um, like I've read all his books. Like he. Uh, there's kind of like a little short book you can read called Catching the Big Fish. And it's kind <laughs> of just like just little musings of him, like on creativity in his life. And it is very like written in the way that he talks. And it, it's so funny. Like, yeah, the analogies he makes and stuff. Oh, yeah, he's just <laughs> great. And then, yeah, you can he came out. Uh, with like an autobiography called Room to Dream, like I think maybe a year and a half ago or two years ago. And like 
uh, the chapters alternate between him writing about his life and then like a biographer writing about it. Uh, it was super fun to read just cause like he can just go off and like, just wow. be himself, like talking about that period of his life. And then she's kind of like, well, this is like what actually yeah. happened. This is what he's you thinking know? about it. And then here's the real deal. Yeah. Wow. I've never, I've never heard of that as a structure for a biography or an autobiography. That's yeah. such a cool idea. Yeah. It actually kind of, uh, kind of works. So yeah. Yeah. No, I, I love him. I love his, uh, philosophy. I think that, yeah, he's really into meditation. Like he's really into a brand of like a branch of meditation called transcendental meditation. And that's how he like, gets in his creative zone and like the ideas come to him like for blue velvet apparently like he just had this vision of an ear in a field and then he just <laughs> built it from there which i think is just so funny yeah um but yeah no i just i love his creative process and also he yeah he's just like a very wholesome man and there's this like duality to, to him where like he's so wholesome and there is such a sense of humanity but at the same time like he's not afraid to go to like the dark places but like mm -hmm. he he poises it in a way that like these two things aren't at odds with each other and like they exist simultaneously in the world right um which i guess yeah. is part of the transcendental meditation thing i did a bit of reading uh last night while i was uh working in the middle of the night in between stuff i was reading about david lynch and uh <laughs> i i get that i get the impression that's part of like everything in the world is like part of one cohesive thing so i can understand like why he's able to do that it's also like we'll get into it with the movie but like yeah dualities kind of seem like his whole bread and butter <laughs> seems like something he goes back to a lot the impression that like i kind of got with you talking about david lynch right now is that kind of in the same camp as like david byrne like yeah oh my god i love the davids my two davids i'm obsessed with them both the two perfect davids two of my favorite people yeah for sure yeah it is yeah and there is just this like absurdity to both of them like i don't know if you've uh seen true stories like the film that yeah i haven't Burnham. and i hate that i haven't but i want to really bad <laughs> You should. It's fun. <laughs> also, because I lived in Texas for a bit, but yeah. I just love. I want to watch know. John Goodman sing. <laughs> yeah, he's great. Oh, he's so great. <laughs> yes. So yeah, I love David. Yeah, the Davids are good, and like I, I think like I hadn't really seen any of his work, um, not any of his like major like movies or anything, but he's got this reputation, and he's just like such a fascinating like figure on his own that you kind of get david lynch before you even have to see anything like you sort of maybe you don't get it because i think there's a lot of like nuance and complexity to be found here like i guess with anybody but just because he's like a weird dude but you sort of get the impression of what david lynch is like so what i had seen before this is i had seen what did jack do because that was fairly recent and it was like <laughs> 17 minutes and that thing that shit is yeah. amazing yeah um, <laughs> something about the mouth being like superimposed onto <laughs> jack is a lot for me um yeah. and i don't remember what it's called liam i think liam did you show me the rabbits thing i, oh, I, I very well yeah I'm very well so and i rabbits, love those yeah. i've also seen that and those um great. i think that was it before i watched firewalk with me i think those were the two things um, yeah, and I have like a passing awareness of like the rest of his work. Like I know what it all is. 
and I, I generally know like what they're about, but I've never sat down to like watch them. The only other thing is it, when I was in like fifth grade, there was a kid in my school with an Eraserhead t-shirt. I want to know like how that dude is doing if he was watching Eraserhead when he was like 11. But... That was Madeline's brother. That's so funny. Yeah, honestly though. Yeah, so um, I had a reference point, but like it, it's kind of a weird reference point to try to like get into this with. And then Liam, had you seen a lot of his stuff before you had got to this or like um, have you seen a lot of his stuff since? Yeah, I think it all happened about the same time, um, me watching his movies and watching Twin Peaks. I know my introduction to him would have been like freshman year of high school. I would have been like 13 years old and I heard about, about him at the local skate park, actually. Um, <laughs> a friend I had at the skate park a couple years older than me who I just thought was the coolest dude. Um, he he told me about Rabbits by David Lynch, and I'd never heard of David Lynch before. So when he said the name, I it wasn't I wasn't thinking, oh, it's that movie guy, because I didn't know at that point. So I watched Rabbits, and I just thought it was so so cool, um, totally my style of just like weird horror, um, and also the kind of thing that you can get into at thirteen and be like, it's cool that I'm into this. Like I, I know it's cool. <laughs> I feel edgy. Um, yeah, so Rabbits was cool, and around that time, I think I watched Eraserhead just because that was the first. Um, it, it was either the first David Lynch movie that like I stumbled upon that I knew was by him, or because it it would get brought up in horror discussion. Um, maybe that's why I gravitated toward that one. So I'd seen those those early on, and then I'd say it was around late high school. Um, so maybe a bit before I saw Twin Peaks and as well as a bit after is when I saw stuff like Blue Velvet, um, Wild at Heart, Mulholland Drive. And I learned um, really quickly after watching those and watching Twin Peaks that he he's not just a weirdo, man. Uh, the Rabbits dude isn't just weird. You know, he actually he does put a lot of time into these characters and um, he puts the characters in weird situations and makes them do weird things. But they almost always do feel like real people. Um, the Nicolas Cage character in Wild at Heart is like so relatable and empathetic. Um, I think I cried at the end of that movie. It's just, it's he, he really does know how to write a, a, a good character and also just he, he puts out films that are captivating, but you can't really put a finger on why they're so captivating each each one is so different um you know it feels very him but also it it's distinct like within his work overall i guess is what you mean yeah yeah because there are some filmmakers that have a style and then they kind of get pigeonholed into that style and some of those movies it just really feels like they're just they're doing the thing they've done before like rob zombie is one of those filmmakers where he's got such a great visual style um but a couple of a couple of his movies um he just really leans into that and it kind of feels like he's like a parody of himself it's like he has, he has a movie called 31 that came out a couple years ago, and it kind of feels like the sort of movie that everyone criticized him for making in his early years. People that didn't actually see those movies would say, this is the kind of movie you make. And it turns out that 
that that wasn't the kind of movie he was making. He was making movies with a whole lot of heart and depth. And uh, I think David Lynch is like that, too. I mean, he, he might have this reputation as just doing weird surrealist stuff and, and smashing stuff together that um, is striking but doesn't add up to a whole lot. But besides just being uh, like, you know, titillating, but um when you actually watch it front to back, there's a whole lot of depth and heart in it. And so uh, I, I love every movie I've seen by him. There's still a couple more to get to, but uh, he's, he's great and he hasn't lost it because um, Twin Peaks season three, you know, which is really his first sort of movie, I guess, in like 11 years after Inland Empire. It is, man, he's, he's, sti- he's still on it at like 70 years old. Holy yeah. man. Yeah, no, it is so good. Um, and I love the other thing I love about him is he just like also like part of it he just like loves to just like fuck with people he doesn't like I don't know um, making things too easy to understand like you know what I mean like the la- this last season of Twin Peaks like who knows like what is going on especially at the end like what has even happened and like i don't even know that he knows himself i think he just kind of throws things together and like whatever conclusions people reach like he's fine with that um totally like it's and what what's that quote um about eraser head like that the like the famous one <laughs> that the he was being interviewed and i think someone said like can you explain what is it like can you explain like the point of eraser head or something and he's just like no oh okay this is it okay he says eraser head is my most spiritual film and she's like can you expand on that and he's like no like, that's oh, so good yeah. you know I mean? yes. like, yeah. i love that for so a lot good. of reasons i think in part because it's like i kind of appreciate when someone who is uh willfully or knowingly doing something that is widely considered weird doesn't feel like they owe an explanation for why they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like I always kind of respect the ability to just be like, yeah, figure it out. Like it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter yeah. why I'm doing it. You figure out why I'm doing it. Why do you and, think I'm doing it? <laughs> and uh, honestly, due to the comparisons to rivers, Cuomo from Weezer aren't far <laughs> off. I was, I was just, well, first rivers, Cuomo is a huge into meditation. So you got that. And also I was listening to a podcast, um, a couple days ago where Rivers Cuomo was explaining his songwriting process for a song off of an album that came out about five years ago or so. And um, near the end, the interviewer asked him like what, what the lyrics mean. Um, And he said that he's at a point in his songwriting where he doesn't want to understand what the song means. He'll take (laughs) lyrics that he's thought of uh, years ago and from, from different topics and themes or, or references. He's, he's really notable in his recent work for putting references to really esoteric specific stuff and being super verbose and strange. Um, And uh, he said that he if he's written a song and he knows what it means right away, he doesn't he doesn't think it's a good song. (laughs) He'd rather put this stuff out and that that way when he's playing them live and singing them all the time, he won't get bored of it. There's still stuff that can be learned from it. And so I also think there's something to be said for stuff that's weird. Yeah, I like that. You know, you can. Sorry. Self-selected death of the author. He's like, I don't care. Like, (laughs) I'm done. I don't care what this means. 
Yeah, I mean, I know that I've written songs before where uh, I think I know what they mean, or, or, or I, I think the words go well together, um, but I don't, I don't quite think of them all that much. And then months, years later, I'll because I've learned something new, I'll see the line differently. It'll mean something different to me. And so I think there's something to be said for art that is weird and it doesn't really need to be explained because it's out there and then people can just take it however they want you know there's a whole lot of weird stuff in Twin Peaks and in this movie that we're going to talk about tonight and I have no idea what it (laughs) means but I know that I like it you know and I, I don't think I don't think that we need to be able to explain you know the meaning behind all this stuff in order to be fans of it that's why mm-hmm. that's why I felt kind of weird coming into this because I was actually more intrigued to hear what you guys are going to end up having to say about Firewalk with me because like I'm coming at this from such a weird perspective that I don't know if like like we're saying it's like I don't think anything I'm interpreting is going to be wrong or like not the right way to go about it but I just I lack a lot of context and i think even in stuff that is maybe if it's like rivers cuomo style being like willfully obtuse or it's just um something where in the case of david lynch like he just doesn't want to explain it to you like there's a lot of different avenues even still like context still matters so it it was weird coming into this for me and um from scene to scene like there would be stuff and i'm like i didn't know if it was something from the show or not so I just sort of had to make like educated guesses as to whether or not I thought something was from the show or wasn't. I, I generally assumed that things were uh, unless it felt like sometimes stuff would just hit me different and then be like, I bet that's just in this movie. And I don't know what I was using to like base those assumptions. But um, yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, a lot of it has to do, I guess, with like, the timing, like when the movie came out, it was after the second season of Twin Peaks. Um, and there was this like, just, it's like this iconic, like, you know, kind of cliffhanger episode. And then uh, the show wasn't renewed. So this <laughs> is like Lynch's weird way of like wrapping up dead ends, but it isn't because it is like kind of like a prequel movie. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it's also like he, from what I read a bit, like he also just wanted to like do more in that world. And he had like mm-hmm. more to say with, mm-hmm. with Laura Palmer. And it's just like, it sounds like it, it's, it's maybe not trying to do all of those things, but it is whether he meant to or not, like it's wrapping up the show or at least it was until the show wrapped up itself later and it's exploring characters more and it's a prequel and it's not. And you know, And then the added layer for me is sort of trying to suss out what things mean despite knowing that I'm getting a lot of the information now that the whole hook of the TV show was not knowing that stuff. Mm -hmm. So like I'm trying to wrap my head around like how to interpret what I'm looking at. Although I will say... Um, the last thing I'll say before I just quickly give a rundown of the movie for anybody that is listening that might not know, in which case, why are you listening to this? Oh my God. But um, uh, I do think that what, the thing that I learned that sort of surprised me the most maybe is that um, 
it's abstract. There's like abstract stuff in it, and it's weird, and it does feel very Lynchian, which is a word I'm surprised we haven't used yet, because it's like a whole category of thing now. But um, sort of like what we were talking about, there is uh, a lot of humanity to it. But I think more than anything, like a lot of it is a lot more like articulate and like comprehensible than I would have expected. At least like thematically, I I, I find that. And maybe I'm alone here. And if I am, then who knows why? And we'll get into that. But I feel like some of it is actually fairly, I don't want to say straightforward, but like it's not overtly complicated. Like some of it is, it felt to me like um, the more abstract things would get, there would always be like a thematic motif as, as like a baseline. So you at least had something to hold on to while you were trying to interpret the stuff that you were seeing. And uh, it almost feels like that's David Lynch, like giving you like, like you fell off the boat and he's like giving you a life preserver where it's like, look, I'm not going to pull you onto the boat, but I'm going to make sure that I don't completely lose you here. So there's some stuff to sort of hold on to, which helped me as someone who's like, what the fuck <laughs> is happening <laughs> through parts of it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so for anybody listening who doesn't know, this is I'm going to just for the sake of simplicity, say it's a prequel. And um, it essentially follows the last, I'm going to say for the sake of simplicity, again, the last few days of Laura Palmer's life before she is killed and then the TV show starts. So we're sort of exploring what Laura Palmer was going through um, leading up to her her death and working through the sort of two different sides that you get of Laura Palmer. Like we've talked about, you get the homecoming queen side who's like the outward facing, like popular, nice girl. And then there's like the, the Coke addicted, hedonistic, uh, very sexually open, like dark side version that you get basically. And, um, navigating how those things interact with other people in her life and the impact that those things are having on her. And this weird connection to, seemingly some supernatural stuff i guess and also it's the black lodge right that's what that place is called the red room with the weird floor is that is that right yeah okay yeah and that place is also here and there's some shit going on over there that's for sure (laughs) uh and uh i don't know david bowie shows up for like 45 seconds there's a lot uh and as a quick rundown cast and crew we've got David Lynch, unsurprisingly, directed it. It was written by David Lynch and Robert Engels, who also worked on Twin Peaks. Uh, Edited by Mary Sweeney, who was briefly married to David Lynch, which I find interesting. And also worked on Twin Peaks, Lost Highway, Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, Wild at Heart, and Inland Empire. Uh, Cinematography is by Ron Garcia, who just did a shit ton of TV. Um, Which I guess makes sense because Twin Peaks was a, a TV show, so maybe that's why that connection came about. And the music is by, oh man, Angelo Badalamenti, which I probably said wrong, as is tradition, uh, who also did some stuff for Blue Velvet for Paul Schrader's Autofocus, and also notably for me and Liam, uh, the 2005 Wicker Man movie, which we did on the show. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, okay, so the cast list, oh man, it's really long. So I'm just going to run through this really fast, and then we'll sort of single people out as we go. There's also a lot of, like, very notable people in this list, so keep your ears open. Um, so there's Cheryl Lee, Ray Wise, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, Madchen Amick, Dana Ashbrook, Phoebe Augustine, David Bowie, as mentioned, Eric Dare, Miguel Ferrer, Pamela Gidley, Heather Graham, Chris Isaac, Moira Kelly, 
Peggy Lipton, David Lynch again, James Marshall, Jurgen Prochnow, Harry Dean Stanton, Kiefer Sutherland, Lenny Von Dolan, Grace Zabriskie, Francis Bay, Catherine E. Coulson, Michael J. Anderson, Frank Silva, Walter Olkwitz, Al Strobel, and Gary Hirschberger. Some huge names in there, dude. Like, oh, man. Corey, um, just wait until you read the cast for season three. Is it, is is it, in, yeah. is it insane? It is how many yeah, like I, one scene role or yeah one scene roles are there that's just like a random famous person yeah michael sarah has a great one oh my it was god so, it was so funny um because like i saw when they dropped they dropped the cast without like saying what roles they would be playing and i yeah. instantly knew who they were gonna have like michael sarah play like i don't i like i don't know if i should do spoilers for that like i don't know well, know. we can say, we can say spoilers. Me. It won't <laughs> okay. it won't mean anything to me. Yeah. And yeah. Liam, it sounds like he's seen it. So, if you yeah, want to say it, go nuts. Yeah, there are just these two characters, um like Andy and uh Lucy and like I don't know how would you describe them, Liam? <laughs> oh my gosh, they're like Oh man, they're just they're very they're very innocent, very pure. I mean, they're they're both adults, but uh they're just very they're very childlike in their demeanor, very sweet, very demure yeah. people, and they gravitate toward each other for that reason. Mhm. Exactly. Yeah. So, That's yeah, cool. I, it was not disappointing <laughs> when when Michael Sarah showed up uh as as their like child. I was like, yeah, of course. <laughs> Well, and it was, it's funny because like I'm sitting through the opening credits and like as names were coming on screen, I was just increasingly like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like it just kept happening. Where I was like, oh, Kiefer Sutherland's in this. Oh, David Bowie's in this. Like it just kept going. Where I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Harry Dean Stanton's in this. That's I I had that exact same feeling uh, when they were releasing cast names for season three. They did (laughs) a huge drop all at once of a big list, but others came out um one at a time and every one i was just like what is going on is well, he just and i, I guess to be the longest movie is, ever made is part of it like everybody all, all famous people want an excuse to be in twin peaks so like oh, david, david lynch probably put out like a casting call and everybody was like i'll do anything <laughs> like, definitely. yeah i mean that's probably what happened for some of the roles in this movie and that was only a year or two after the show ended so yeah just well, like there's like in 25 years yeah. of uh well, like there's like loving it chris isaac for example who's like not primarily an actor like that's a yeah. that's a musician <laughs> like, yeah i don't know was this pre or post uh wild at heart because i know that uh lynch used his song in that movie and then it really took off it's it's after wild at heart but maybe that's like yeah. why he's in here yes yeah. yeah i would say so and like i will say uh i think he's really good <laughs> Yeah, um, he is. I think everybody's really good, which I, I don't know. Here's the problem. And like, this is a problem, Madeline, that we have all the time, which is how the, like, how the fuck do you, where do we start? Like, cause even the movie, there's like 45 minutes of shit that don't necessarily directly have anything to do with Laura Palmer right away. So it's yeah. like, we could start with that part. We could yeah, part sk- skip to the Laura I Palmer find, stuff. I guess like, the most confusing part um 
Yeah, and I I did read that uh they wanted that to be Dale Cooper to draw the through mm-hmm. line a little bit better, and then yeah, Kyle yeah, McLaughlin yeah. like wasn't wasn't down. Mm-hmm. It's it's fascinating to me the amount of people who like didn't come back for this. Like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. That let's start there because like yeah, the biggest elephant in the room is that Donna is not Donna, which I think is so funny. Um, and which really bothers me. But like, the, I guess the thing is, is that almost, like maybe this is an edgy opinion, but I feel like this Donna might even be better than Dude, actual Donna. Can I can I say something? <laughs> Obviously, I haven't seen the show, but yeah. I was looking up stuff last night and I saw like OG Donna. And I was like, that's mm-hmm. not, and, and in my head I was like, that's not Donna. Like I was already so attached to like Moira uh, Kelly as Donna. Man, Corey. Like, yeah. like, Corey, that's like my girlfriend Brianna having <laughs> become attached to Psycho 98 beforehand. <laughs> yeah, like I was just like, I feel like everybody in this movie for me so well embodies like the character that they are that now I'm going to have to go back to the TV show and like stuff's going to be different. And I'm, I don't know how yeah. I'm going to deal with that. Yeah, I'd say honestly, like pretty much the only person that is like it is Donna and like the story, I guess, behind that kind of is like the whole story, the drama behind Twin Peaks was that uh, Lara Flynn Boyle was dating Kyle McLaughlin IRL. So Donna was dating Agent Dale Cooper in real life during the filming. Um, I hope I have this right. You know, it's kind of like over the years, (laughs) I've read about it a lot or like heard about it a lot. But anyways, they were dating. And David Lynch had written this kind of like, love interest with uh, Audrey Horn, who's played by Sherilyn Fenn. And like Lara Flint Boyle was getting really jealous, like super <laughs> jealous of the fact that like, um, you know, Kyle was having to like act out. Dude, being in it's, love it's with, fictional. Like, I know, right? And with, <laughs> like, and with Sherilyn Fenn. And yeah, apparently she was just like, just an awful person to get along with and she was so demanding so at the point like in the second season they or like they kind of transition audrey out of being like a viable love interest and then um cooper ends up being with annie like this other girl who comes into town but like if you really think about it audrey and annie are not that different in age like that was kind of the logic that they made transitioning out of audrey as in love interest was that she was too young for cooper okay um and he was being all like you know like valiant to be like oh, no, <laughs> you're too young for me but and then got then with someone who's up, like two years older ex- than that person yeah exactly it kind of made no sense um, but yeah, anyways, just the fact, and then I guess at the point where it hits, you know, the movie, Lara Flynn Boyle was just like, yeah, she just sounds like a yeah. kind of demanding person. So. I, I will say when I realized, because I was like, oh, Moira Kelly, do I know her from anything else? And I was like, I sure do. The Lion King. I was like, what the really? fuck? She's, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't know that. I was like, holy shit. Um, so that's just a weird connection. There's a, there was a couple other interesting ones like, uh, Ray Wise, who plays Leland, um, is apparently in Fresh Off the Boat. (laughs) Oh, no way. Yeah. And also he's in the video game Command and Conquer Red Alert 2, which I mention for one person who I know is listening. 
and he just got a kick out of that specifically. That was just for him. Um, but yeah, so like, let's okay, let's think about this. I think I think let's just start at the beginning. Actually, wait, hang on, I have a better idea. <laughs> I think I think here's what we got to do. Let's just get out of the way how everybody feels about the movie. I think that might be pretty obvious. I'm gonna go ahead and assume that you both like it, but you tell me. Yeah, um, I like it. Yeah, it is kind of like a depressing movie, like because it does delve into um, so much of, I guess, what Laura Palmer was going through. Like mm-hmm. the TV show does, in a way, kind of like shy away from showing. I guess all it, of that. I guess it would have to, like, for yeah, like, ratings exactly. reasons. Yeah, yeah. So, like, this was Lynch's kind of, like, free reign um, to kind of, like, go there and, like, show everything that had been alluded to in the show. Um, so, yeah, it is just kind of, like, depressing. Like bleak. Bleak and sad, but it is, you know, it's good. It is kind of, like, one of the missing pieces that um that helps you like just like understand the show better and yeah i do i do like it very much um there is something that's always kind of haunted me uh, like it's it's kind of absurd but um i i also don't really know how to say his name but is it angelo badliamenti the composer yeah ba- badliamenti let's go with that sure yeah. close enough um, he's not listening it's fine yeah or actually no it's not him it's not him oh my goodness i'm mixing up my my stories it's it's the man from another place the little man who talks backwards in the black lodge yeah what's the character's you know? name the man from another oh, place like uh, that. michael j anderson yeah yeah okay <laughs> um he wasn't on the most recent season apparently because like <laughs> Because he had, he was like spewing to the media. He was like, I refuse to be on Twin Peaks anymore because like David Lynch sexually abused his daughter and Twin Peaks is, is like uh, autobiographical and like it's what? about him. Um, so that just always like weirds me out, but also like it's obviously <laughs> insane. Right. Because um, <laughs> there's a lot of other people involved who you know, didn't say that happened and did not say it was out of, that's weird. Okay. Yeah. But that also, that always like comes up in my head when I'm watching this movie. Cause there's so many like, yeah. Cause it's, yeah, there's a lot of that going (laughs) on. Like, yeah. Yeah. And Mm. I know like, okay. So Corey, do you know who killed Laura Palmer? Like, I don't want to spoil that, but like we can't, this movie didn't tell me. I thought this movie told me (laughs) it does. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It does. Okay, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that I do know, or at least I have <laughs> I have my own version of it. So let's just go for it. We're here. I've already fucked up the viewing order. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. But anyways, it's just kind of like yeah, knowing that it was like um, her dad who mm-hmm. like raped her and stuff. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, and then having the man from another place be like ah. This is real life. I just, it's kind of like disturbing, but also like obviously isn't really true, but. Right. That feels like some real like proto QAnon shit. (laughs) 
Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, okay, so that is the conclusion I came to, so at least we're on the same page with that. Okay. That's pretty good. good. And yeah, so, I watched I watched yeah. the movie like a couple weeks ago, so I'm a little okay. a little fuzzy I, maybe. I watched it um less than twelve hours ago. <laughs> or less Perfect. than twenty four hours ago, I mean. Uh so I've spent most of the time between then and now just thinking about it. <laughs> so and then Liam, <laughs> I saw your letterbox review score, so I know how you feel. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was from years ago, but uh, you didn't I change say, it. It, it, so. it. It holds up. It holds up. Yeah. Um, this movie is ten out of ten to me. Um, the first time I watched it, you know, it would have been after I saw the first two seasons for the first time before season three came out. Um, and it just it floored me, man. Um, I was I was actually expecting to not be that into it. Um, because I figured that with uh the freedom of a full-length movie you know a bigger budget and um not having to worry about censorship and stuff i thought that the movie would be um far too different from the series for me um that was just a thought i had going into it and while it is very different from the series um tonally you know the series is actually a lot more fun and uh comforting it has these dark moments for sure but this movie is uh, totally just um i mean bleak is a great word to put it it is so depressing it's so sad you know you're just you're forced to uh live with this woman as, as her life is crumbling uh in the last few days and there's really not much sign of hope there's a whole lot of hope in twin peaks the series because you're coming in after the murder has already happened and so you know that the worst is over and uh you know you you have a lot of hope for what's going to happen and while a lot of bad stuff does happen uh there's stuff that that keeps uh keeps things bright and um this movie really doesn't have that the more it wears on. And so after watching it for the first time, after seeing, you know, Laura Palmer doing Coke and seeing her naked and seeing her say fuck and uh, <laughs> seeing her, her like, say fuck. <laughs> yeah. That's not in the show either, man. It was weird. Uh, you know, the sexual abuse stuff. It is just, it's so different from the TV show um, that, I loved it for what it was because at that point I had become so attached to the characters as um, real people that seeing the movie um, actually be pretty straightforward. I agree with you, Corey, that a lot of the movie is straightforward and it's just showing you this experience that this, that this uh, teenage girl had in her last few days. Um, It's absolutely crushing. So I came away from the movie the first time thinking that it was amazing how much it affected me emotionally but that i never wanted to watch it again i thought i thought cheryl lee's performance was the most amazingly devastating performance i'd literally ever seen i I remember texting keiki about it after watching it and i was just it really ripped me up um and so i i thought that i took what i had what i needed to out of it i thought it was a great second of three endings to twin peaks um (laughs) And and I and I was set. Um, I did watch the missing pieces at some point after that, which yeah. is a whole lot. That's of all deleted just, scenes. It's a movie's worth of deleted scenes, right? Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Which is a, a bit more fun. And so I was able because you know you're seeing older characters, and um, some of the the spirit of the show is still still there. It's a bit skewed, um, but it's still there. 
but in terms of Fire Walk With Me, I, I wasn't sure I ever wanted to watch it again. Um, and watching it again for the podcast uh, for the first time after season three has come out, which is also a very bleak uh, piece of filmmaking. There's Again, there's fun stuff, just like the original, but it goes to some really, really dark places. And so... I was I was a bit more prepared for that this time. And also I think the fact that now I've lived with these characters for so long, I don't remember them exactly the way they were represented in the original show. You know, I don't I don't remember them not saying the fuck word and uh, <laughs> be, being like being like safe for television. They feel like real people to me now. And so um, seeing them behave more like real people uh, in the in the movie this time around, I was a lot more prepared for it. Um, and so I was able to uh, just focus on the filmmaking and the storytelling once again. And um, it, it affected me, uh, I would say, almost as much just because I, I wasn't expecting it the first time. Um, this time I kind of knew what I was in for. But but I can say that um, all that emotion didn't go away. I still felt it. And uh, I, I think it's just a, a really... Um, perfect bookend uh to this series you know i don't think it's it's an entirely perfect movie but i don't think twin peaks is a perfect series either i think it's sort of like perfectly imperfect um and so this fits really well with that so i i totally love this movie i think it's i think it's great <laughs> that, Me too. yeah and so um i expectations wise I had no idea like where to orient myself because I was going into this sort of with like expectations that aren't really informed by anything other than like David Lynch's and Twin Peaks standing like in pop culture discourse rather than what they actually are. So that's always like a bit of a caricature of a thing rather than what the thing actually is. So I wasn't sure what I was going to get with this and I didn't know what any of it was going to mean. And so what, what I kind of did was just, I went in and I was like, I'm going to expect nothing. Like I'm, I'm just going to go in and I'm going to get presented with something and that's going to be what it is. And, uh, you know, if it's completely inscrutable, I will do my best to figure it out. And if it's just like incomprehensible, then that's, that's just what happens. And, um, if it's not great, then whatever, because I, I, sort of had I put myself in this position basically but um you know all that said when the movie was over I uh some you know sometimes after like you watch a movie and you know something just like it's less that you watched a movie and like something happened to you and you don't really know like what to do and you just sort of like sit there and you're just like huh like I was a person and then I watched this and then I was a different person when that movie was over I think that's what happened. I loved this movie. Uh, I agree with Liam. I think it's a 10 out of 10. And I feel like that might sound weird coming from somebody who does not have a basis in Twin Peaks at all. Um, maybe, I don't know if maybe like there's stuff about the movie where I'm giving it some credit because I just don't know. But um, it's what we've been talking about. It's what you guys have already said. We're just like tonally. Yeah, it's a super bleak exploration and really nuanced detail and really harrowing performance of just like the absolute uh like final 
blows of the loss of innocence and just like the end of this person's tragic experience and that's really difficult and i think cheryl lee sells that in a way that i don't even know how many other actresses could do that or actors or anybody like it just doesn't matter like it's like a weirdly transcendent thing but um like i was sort of saying earlier uh and liam just mentioned a lot of it is like fairly understandable uh like there's some stuff that i think i i just i can't get the fullness of because i don't have the context or like if there's a character it's like i don't know if they're from the show or if they're just in the movie so like maybe i'm missing something but overall i feel like i i got everything this movie was offering to me or at least i interpreted it the way that i could based on the information that i had and yeah i just found it i found it really moving and just yeah it's uncanny in moments but i think we've talked a bit about the humanity that kind of undercurrents the whole thing and for as uncanny as some of it is and as supernatural as some of it is and as fucking like bleak as a lot of it is there is this just like undercurrent of like humanness to it that's easy to latch onto, and um it's a lot to take in but i also can't remember the last time i've been this immediately like a fan of somebody's work where i'm like i need to just go watch everything else now because it, it really just kind of hit hit me in a very specific way <laughs> And I'm still kind of grappling with that. Like, this feels like a little bit early to be attempting to podcast about it because I only yeah. saw it yesterday. But I'm going to do my best. And uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. Yeah, it's definitely a movie that kind of like gives you a hangover afterwards. Yeah. And then I, I watched this and then I went immediately to an overnight shift at work. Oh, no. So like, <laughs> uh, I'd have it where I'm like, reading a newscast and then like in between newscasts i'll just like space out and just like think about the movie <laughs> and then i have to come back and read the news and i'm just like oh my god you're reading the news backwards and shit <laughs> i did think about so i funny. i just made the joke to Kiki where i was like i wish i was reading my weather reports the way david lynch does his weather reports <laughs> <laughs> like um yeah. but you know and it's weird because so it starts with 45 minutes of stuff that seems like it might be unrelated <laughs> which is yeah. a really bold choice. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked it. Um, and that might be because it's my taste of what Twin Peaks is maybe more like as a show than a movie. That's my guess is mm-hmm. that I was, I was getting more of like the police procedural, like FBI agent side of it. And uh, the less like ethereal supernatural part of it. And it's got those qualities of like being kind of weird and uncanny. And you're getting like uh when Harry Dean Stanton brings them all cups of coffee, like Sam, who is Kiefer Sutherland's character, has this bit where he's like, oh man, we could really use some of this, couldn't we, Agent Desmond? And nobody replies to him, so he just says it again to try to get like <laughs> some kind of reaction out of somebody. Or like he talks about how much the building is worth just by looking at it. Or obviously David Lynch's character is just yelling at everybody about <laughs> like the woman does the dance that like dis- describes the circumstances to them and it's like oh i can't tell you what the blue rose means and like just describing it out loud it makes it sound like a bunch of stupid bullshit but like it's not stupid bullshit mm-hmm. and th- yeah there's just something there's something really compelling about that opening stuff and how it sort of gradually brings you into the world i almost wonder if that was kind of for people like me who were maybe seeing the movie because it was a movie with a big name on it that came out in theaters and it's like well we gotta like ease people into this a little bit 
so here's here's this um but it's really like that's i think the bit more fun bit uh because you do get some of the sillier stuff like the diner conversation with uh the two agents and the waitress whose name escapes me um and that dude who's like are you guys talking about that little girl that got murdered and then he just says that again like a minute later um and he's with a random woman who speaks french for some reason i don't know but uh i think in that earlier part uh it was a good way to ease into it especially for me as somebody who didn't have the show to sort of fall back on i don't know how how does it play to like you guys who do have the show and all of that information like is it weird that it's just like here's two unrelated fbi agents with a different yeah. murder a little bit but it also like it connects to uh cooper's character and it is kind of like a backstory like if the second half is kind of like a backstory on what was happening to laura uh the first bit is about like cooper and and, like what led up to him taking on laura's case okay um but i do still like you know maybe i'm just dumb but i do still like even (laughs) like i've seen this movie (laughs) multiple times but i do still like find it confusing um, a little bit to like follow along because uh, yeah there is like towards the end of the second season you start to hear more about Cooper's backstory and there was like there was something that happened um, with like him and an old partner like right so maybe and, this is and, like kind of that but it's not really yeah, that and this is yeah this is related to it um, and David Bowie's there, which is super fun. David Bowie's and... there in the one of the most incomprehensible movie sequences I've ever seen in <laughs> yeah. my life. Like from yeah, the security and... camera to that ending, I have no fucking idea what that was. That's the yeah. only that's the only thing in the movie to me that's like complete nonsense. Like... Yeah, and it's too bad because I think that um, like had he not uh, died before the third season started like he was supposed to like Lynch wanted to bring him back mm-hmm. uh, for the newest season, which would have been so fun. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Cause he's, he's an important character, right? In the lore. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he's in a party actually, suit. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they actually, they, they kind of bring him back in season three, you know, in an abstract sort of way, his, yeah. his character and what he represents. And so I think because of that, um, uh, that might be what makes me able to accept the recasting of Donna this time mm-hmm. around. Because the first time I saw it, it you know, I, I really liked uh, this Donna's performance. Um, but I just, I remember thinking, man, it's a shame that they didn't actually get Donna because it's like, that's the one thing keeping it from being, yes. you know, totally in line with the vision. It makes it feel, you know, it's a bit of a shame because... Uh, mm-hmm. David Lynch is so good at writing around um, uh, practical issues, you know, like dropping uh, Audrey <laughs> and bringing in Annie, um, you know, who becomes an iconic character of her own or mm-hmm. uh, having, you know, David Bowie's character show up in season three, but not really, you know, he's really clever at doing stuff like that. And so it felt like sort of a uh, cheap that, that yeah. they were keeping Donna in it. Um, and this time around, uh, I, I found myself able to accept it a bit more because um, the world, after having seen season three and what they did to Jeffrey's character, David Bowie's character, um, I, I, I was reminded at what kind of a abstract, surreal world this is at times and the fact that, you know, it's, it's not 
a literal story with all the humanity that's in it. Um, it's, you know, some things are representations um, of, of bigger things. And so the fact that uh, Donna isn't the same actress, you know, I'm still able to think of her as the same character because the 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 filmmaking is often so dreamlike that it's i think it's the character that's more important than the actual actress and it having the character recast actually creates um more of a cool surrealist quality you know um it it makes the movie different than the tv show while still sort of being in line with it and so i came to appreciate it this time but it is the the donna thing is one of the weirder things to get <laughs> The well, head around yeah. and also and and david bowie is definitely a, a weird thing I, to get your head around too when when he walked on screen oh my god uh, brianna brianna went is that sting <laughs> <laughs> dude that's and a I, huge day for Sting getting confused <laughs> for david bowie yeah and i and i said and i said no it's david bowie actually and she said oh wait that's just as fucking weird <laughs> <laughs> i will say this is this is the kind of thing i was hoping we would get which is like for me i'm like I don't know. That's Donna. <laughs> like, cause yeah. I don't have the reference point. So I, I, uh, I, I, I hadn't even considered that it might be weird. Cause I also don't know how, like, I don't know who was a major character in the show and who was a minor character in the show either. So like, I don't know how much you see of Donna before oh, yeah. this. Donna a is a really main, like a okay. major so, character. So it is so, like, jarring to it have is it. It is super jarring. Yeah. And I completely agree with Liam that like, the first time I saw the film, I was so upset and it was so jarring each time you saw the new Donna and you were just like, oh, you couldn't help but think like if only that one piece had fallen into place, like how perfect the movie would have been. But yeah, it's like it's definitely on like the third like the second rewatch that you finally come to accept. Like, that this the, is this is new the Donna. Other Donna. Yeah. Um that's the police going to arrest new Donna for ruining the movie. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we've got agents, special agent, uh, Chet Desmond or Chester Desmond, I guess, but Chet Desmond. And we've got, um, we've also got, where's what's Kiefer Sutherland's character's name? Sam, Sam Stanley. And they are going to investigate the murder of Teresa Banks, who was, murdered in what i guess seems like similar ish circumstances to what we would have known already is how laura palmer had been killed and um yeah they investigate this trailer park and uh there's like some weird stuff happening but just like small town weird not like supernatural weird uh up until the point where they get the body that they're gonna go like exhume and investigate or whatever and um Agent Desmond goes and is like looking around trying to figure out what happened. Like there's something suspicious with the sheriff and like some people that they've been dealing with. And under a trailer, he finds a ring, like a black lodge ring, which we see that Teresa Banks has one in a photo. So it's like, oh, we found her ring. Like this is a clue. Um, and then the movie fades out and fades back in to, I believe, the Dale Cooper part. And um, he's just been missing for a while. So that ring did some weird shit to him or maybe he just went missing. But because it's already kind of surreal, you can assume that maybe the ring did some shit to him. And uh, yeah, then we have the brief Dale Cooper part. I'm going to let someone else, if if somebody else wants to take a crack at what the fuck that means, 
I don't know what's going on with the Dale Cooper stuff at all. <laughs> he gets trapped in the Black Lodge somehow. I don't know how he got there. I don't know why he's there. <laughs> I don't know who he's talking to. I don't know what's happening with him at all. <laughs> yeah, so basically at the end of the second season, he gets trapped in the Black Lodge. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I think... That is the thing. Um, I think the line is like, the good Dale is in the lodge or some <laughs> shit. Like, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. 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 And there is a bad Dale. There, who wait, is... <laughs> can I, wait, is, so I've seen a screenshot on Twitter that's just Kyle McLaughlin in a leather jacket. Is that bad Dale? <laughs> yes. Oh yeah, my that's, God. That's bad Coop, as they call <laughs> him, which is great. Bad yeah. Coop. That's awesome. No, I love the newest season for that. And I also love... Like, I love Kyle McLaughlin for, like, just, like, yeah, he basically played, like, three different characters in the newest season. Like, three different versions of Dale Cooper, which is, like, amazing. Um, but, yeah, any, anyways, what what's happening there is that um, the Black Lodge just, it does, it's very mysterious. Like, I don't think that, like, it really, like, obeys, like the laws of like time and space like the normal world does okay um so like yeah you have cooper like i guess he's he's in the dream talking to laura at some point right like yeah. before he, but like in the timeline of the real world he hasn't even taken the case yet yeah so yeah, <laughs> yeah i don't it is it's, it's really confusing but like once you get into the black lodge like you kind of have to be like, okay, like anything could yeah, happen. You, you here. just kind of like check out and you're like, they're going to do what they're going to do in here and I'm going to do my yeah. best to figure yeah, it like out. Yeah, like anyone could show up. Okay, really. so, so like it's not just I haven't seen the show and that's why I'm confused. It's just kind of weird. Yeah, the okay. timeline is all muddled. Okay, cool. Sure. Well, that's what's up with them. I, I say we can leave that part there because there's, I feel like there's too much to unpack with the rest of it. Um, but the last thing we can say about Dale Cooper is damn good cup of coffee. Damn good cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and then I've got another button I'm really excited to use and you know we'll get to that in a second. But um so oh then Oh my god, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, we get to uh we get to Laura and she's just she's just going to school, you know. Oh man, she's <laughs> walking down the sidewalk and the base is uh, the music uh. in this fucking movie is so good i can't wait till we get to that fucked up bar so i can talk about that fucking song in the weird red like orgy room because that song's yeah. awesome but. yeah so so this moment Corey, when she's walking down the sidewalk we get the one year later subtitle and yeah. we hear that that uh theme playing so this is a really big moment um because, like you said, the the first forty five minutes, you know, you know, we're not dealing with our main character. You you know, even you knew that not seeing the show, and we're dealing with a a different murder. It's sort of a prequel to the prequel we thought we were getting. <laughs> because because Teresa Banks is someone that is talked about in the original series as oh. a murder. She's a murder that Coop was aware of and investigated with his team, and then 
came to Twin Peaks to investigate Laura Palmer and he keeps saying that this could be related to the Teresa Banks case. Um, you know, like w when they find Laura Palmer, uh, they also find letters under her fingernails. And so it's a it's a sort of a prequel prequel. And um, it, it very much feels that way. It feels disconnected when you're watching it as a fan because it's weird that you're not that you're getting this Teresa Banks story because we know what that means. We know who Teresa Banks right. is. It's That's it. cool to learn about. But it's weird because Coop isn't at the heart of it, that he's gone and we have two detectives that we've never met before. You know, there right. are other detectives on Coop's team that they could have used here. But instead, David Lynch just goes full on. If we're not going to be able to get Kyle McLaughlin here, then we're going to cast two other people who I think are going to have a cool role. Um and are going to be able to do it well, and I think they do. I really like Kiefer Sutherland's yeah. characterization and and the things he's Such doing. Such like a but pleasant also, dork. Yeah, but but it's not what people are you know coming to the movie for. I think the fact that the the movie starts with the TV being smashed, and then that we get forty five minutes. Scare me, um, by the way. The TV smashing yeah. scared the shit out of me. And then we get basically forty five minutes of characters. Um, or at least main characters that we don't know from the TV show. I think that's a huge statement and it very much feels like a prologue. It's not it's not um separate from what the original show does because we do get a lot of that crime procedural stuff that that you were liking. Um I think that's why the show is actually so accessible because it it has a lot of elements like that. And so it makes sense that the the movie isn't super weird um, right out of the gate, but it, it's strange that we're not in Twin Peaks. We're not seeing a lot of the characters that we know. We're spending so much time with these two new detectives who are seeming like our main characters. You know, it's sort of the psycho twist where if you didn't know, you would think that they're going to be in the movie the whole way through. So 45 minutes in, we sort of get this hard cut and we get the one year later. And that's the Twin Peaks theme song that's playing oh, as shit. she's walking down the sidewalk. So this is like what people have been waiting for. So when that moment happens and you see Laura and you see her neighborhood, it is just like so well, and, emotionally satisfying. And is it weird to see Laura alive and just yes. like, hang, mm -hmm. like just doing stuff like is I that, would I yeah. would say that yeah that's part of the like weirdness of the movie is to see um to see that and also like something that's worth uh mentioning is that we get like a weird glimpse at Laura because her cousin Maddie comes into town and she is played by the same actress but just with like a wig. Wait, um, is that in the show? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the show, it's just it's Laura with black hair, and her name is Maddie, and it's Laura. But it's cousin. just it's just Cheryl Lee. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Sure. Why not? <laughs> so it God. is weird. Like it's yeah. It's your first like real weird. look at like this is Laura Palmer. Yeah. Yeah. Like, as herself, like yeah, and so on the screen for more than a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah, so in the show, that's weird enough. You know, they knew that it would be weird to see uh, <laughs> Laura so Palmer in action. So they sort of subverted that by bringing in Maddie. And then I think that's what makes 
the bulk of Firewalk with me so unsettling and uncanny and fascinating is that our main character, um, you know, after the 45 minutes, and it's a long movie, so we still get a lot of time with Laura Palmer. Um, our, our main character is someone that we've only seen really in brief flashbacks or in still images you know the prom queen image or we've seen her lying pale and dirty dead on a table so it is it is so strange to see her up and about and i think that's where a whole lot of the the intrigue and the horror comes comes through as well so that that moment when you're seeing her walking down the sidewalk it really feels it feels like it's not only 45 minutes of build up and payoff. It feels like it's like two whole seasons. Yeah, it's of years of payoff, payoff at that point. Yeah. And so um, the movie also doesn't really waste a lot of time, like getting to the complexity of Laura Palmer. Like uh, it takes like what, five minutes between seeing her the, for the first time and like doing Coke in the bathroom. Like, <laughs> um, and it sort of sets up like, the relationships that she has with like men in her life quickly and her relationship with Donna, who is her best friend and just sort of like, here's everything you need to know really fast, uh, which I appreciate. Um, and then you get some like really choice interactions really early on. Um, that weird conversation that she has with Bobby where they're sort of arguing and then she just starts being really nice to him. And it's like, she, I, sw- I had to ask Kiki, if she had hypnotized him somehow, because then he just gets really nice and then just walks backwards out of the scene. Oh, that's an iconic. <laughs> that's iconic material. He's just loving life, and I'm just like, <laughs> man, there's a lot. Like, so it's it's tough because you can talk about this movie and you can talk about like that stuff where it's like you describe it and it's hilarious because it's just yeah, he just this leather jacketed dude, uh, this like '90s grunge looking dude. Uh, just is like jiving and walking backwards, just like having the time of his life out of the scene, I guess, for some reason. And um, you start getting sort of conflict because you get you get James as well, who is like sort of set up as like the the alternative mm. to Bobby, like the nicer. <laughs> uh, but he's like weird. His vibe sucks. I gotta say, J- James's vibe <laughs> is real weird, and. Um, <laughs> He's like he's like, just like a fan of the show, Corey. He's like learned. he's like really possessive, and like, Ugh. but yeah. I I do have a button for that. I don't know if this I don't know how well this joke's gonna play. I don't know how well known this joke is, but <laughs> some people would argue I, that James was always cool. I say that line all the time. It's so <laughs> iconic. Yeah. Um, no, that one's from the see, yeah from the yeah. third. And this uh, was not. James does not seem cool. Yeah, James's James's vibe sucks, and I think I think it's actually kind of important because I think on paper you're getting like, oh, James, the nice guy who cares, and Bobby, the the drugged out guy who sucks. But it's like James also sucks. Like mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of options for men in Laura's life that don't suck in some really obvious capacity, whether it's those two or her dad or um that big bar the canadian bar guy whose name escapes me and um, um fucking what's Jack or something yeah i don't so i didn't even catch canadian it name. yeah but yeah, um Jacques. yeah or and then like the the people that she's like going around and having sex with like there is no p- positive presence among any of those men all of them except suck except for for Harold <laughs> except for Harold like a little um, glimpse of Harold who <laughs> has like the sweetest face in the world <laughs> and yeah. i don't know what his deal is at all and 
he appears to be locked in his house or refuses to leave and he gets yeah, the diary he, yeah he has some some issues yeah but and i always have a soft spot for him and i think i think you know we're jumping around a bit but i think that's the when we get laura just says the phrase firewalk with me and i was like mm-hmm. okay and throughout the movie even already they sort of set up this fire motif this is the thing I was talking about when I was like, there's always something to latch back onto. For me, it was this, because this to me is very straightforward. Um, when Donna and Laura are like lying upside down on those couches and just talking in some truly sick framing, that shot looks great. Um, and the question is like, if you, what is it? It's like, if you were like floating in space, do you think you'd eventually slow down? Or would it just get faster and faster? And then Laura gives her speech about like, oh, it would get faster and faster and you'd like catch fire and it would just keep going and you would just like get burned up and eventually explode. And that's a motif that continues um, both through like fire walk with me itself as a phrase, which uh, Keiki actually did. He uh, told me the poem. I didn't realize there was a poem, but he told me it because I was like, what is the significance of like fire walk with me? Um, but, you know, later at that bar, uh laura sees the log lady the lady holding a log for some reason i don't know why she does that and she she like holds her head for a fever and sort of like gives laura a warning about the this fire reaching a point where it can't be contained anymore and things could burn out or go like catastrophically badly and throughout the movie this to me is a very kind of obvious uh statement regarding like the spiral of like both drug addiction and just like loss of innocence more generally like the vices in Laura's life that she's not being able to control and her attempt to want to control those things and how that's just clearly not going to work and it's leading towards some kind of ruin that's always kind of there so even if stuff starts getting really abstract and weird like when the angel phases out of the painting and then becomes real at the end of the movie you you can still at least latch on to to understanding that as a baseline for what's happening in front of you. I found that that helped me a lot and I appreciated that it was there. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's yeah. how I, I imagine that's how it probably reads regardless of like the TV show. I, I don't know what I'm reading in a way that's weird because I haven't seen the show, but that seemed like the most straightforward thing to me. Yeah, no dude. I think, I think you totally got it. I think at its heart, I mean, this is a, a pretty, easy story to follow it's i mean it's super heavy and it's it's difficult to digest but um you know i think the the japanese movie going public had it figured out you know (laughs) that movie was successful over there i don't know how successful the tv show was but i reckon that if the movie was so successful there had to be people going to see it who who didn't uh know the tv show and i think i think it just works and i think that this is the sort of movie that is being talked about now as uh as its own movie separate from the show yeah. and so i think, I and think there's a, a whole lot to get out of it a, besides just the show sorry a reappraised masterpiece i'm seeing because i guess obviously mixed responses at its launch uh roger ebert famously hated it so much he refused to review it um really yeah i, I think i understand why I, I don't think ebert does great with like abject cynicism which is most of what this is so I imagine that was probably part of it. I don't want to. I don't want to speak on his behalf. I, yeah, the yeah. film. I think when it was released uh, at the time, a lot of people like didn't like it or didn't get it or whatever. Well, um, 
especially if it's tonally different from the show like that's whiplash enough but then this it really goes all the way to like the logical conclusion of these events well maybe not logical but like uh it goes all the way to the end of like the the violence and the depravity and the tragedy of the circumstances which might just which is just tough on its own but then along the way it's like you get 45 minutes of seemingly unrelated shit and you get like all of these other steps which i i imagine could probably turn a lot of people off even if they liked the show yeah i i think that um a lot of people who who didn't like the movie if i had to guess i would say the the show was so big and so talked about you know especially that first season um before the the killer was revealed and it's just you know who who killed laura palmer um i would say that the show was so big that people were probably popping in and out you know it's sort of weekly television but you might not catch every single week and so i would say a lot of people who saw the movie um knew of the show and and might have seen some episodes and liked it but to then you know really to see this movie where it's all just laid out like this huge punctuation mark uh that is really unmoving um and and knows exactly what it needs to do and what it wants to say i think that would put a lot of people off but i i i just i can't really understand watching the first two seasons uh, you know all the way through and then seeing this and not finding merit in it that's that's what's difficult to me so that's that's mm-hmm. my theory yeah i'd say it was probably the people who didn't like it were the ones who hadn't um seen the show most likely yeah but yeah and i can imagine this i can imagine this being really abrasive if you had no idea what was what you were in for like i at least knew what i was in for right but if you're just like do you want to go see a movie yes how about that twin peaks like this would light your brain on fire like Mm -hmm. i don't know how you would respond to it with like absolutely no knowledge um especially because like some of it's just like quietly upsetting like a scene that is still sort of sticking with me is maybe not the most shocking but it's it's our introduction to leland where it's about like he has her sit down at the table but then berates her for not washing her hands before eating and like goes over and like grabs her hands and is like insisting that they're filthy and like asks the mom to stay out of it and just like yells and just makes everything just deeply upsetting and obviously lore is like really sort of perturbed by it there was a brief moment where i thought we were gonna get some more of a gross nail stuff because a nail had been previously lifted up thank god that didn't happen but uh there's something just like for as weird as it gets later where it's like there's weird jean jacketed men crawling through windows and like people floating in the air and like angels and stuff like some of the most fucked up stuff is the most like real and it's like that's an interaction real people have with like their parents it's just like their parents fucking suck and they just berate them and like it's it's really fucking upsetting so even that stuff the stuff that's fairly grounded isn't like it's not accessible if you're not ready for that and even if you are it's still hard to sit with i guess i don't know yeah mm-hmm. no dude that, that makes a whole lot of sense like I that, mean, that the stuff that was most upsetting to me was the stuff that felt the realest me 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 too there's there's that's like the biggest uh i think the biggest moments in this movie aren't the stuff that is 
visually uh, surreal. You know, there's weird images in this movie, but it's it's the character stuff that really hits home. You know, I I love the hell out of the first two seasons, and after watching this movie, I knew that I loved it. But like I said, I didn't want to watch it again, and so I can only imagine people who uh, who who saw this um, and and weren't primed by the other seasons because uh i think that um the emotional response i had that was like respect but also rejection because i didn't want to watch it again could just be channeled into rejection by people that uh that this isn't their thing because mm. for me it was the it was the character stuff that made me not want to see it again whenever i think of this movie i think of laura palmer uh running out of the house after seeing bob in her room and and crouching beside that shrub and then watching her dad walk out of the house and uh and realizing that he's the one that's been abusing her this whole time that is like that's maybe the most powerful acting i've ever seen in a movie oh my gosh that's that's all i can think about and then from that point on you just get so much so much of that where dude cheryl lee the actress is just getting put through the ringer i have no idea how she goes to the places she goes to in this movie it's a real um and she has, uh, Marilyn she has to, Burns at the end of Texas Chainsaw Haycourt, yes, where it's just like, yeah. how do you go there? Well, and so constantly, it's the same thing too, where it's like, it feels like every other scene, like, Laura's having a fucking breakdown, and Laura's yeah. being, like, harassed, and like, it's exhausting, so I don't know how as a performer you do, I don't know how Cheryl Lee isn't, like, the most famous actress alive like it's so good oh yeah um, and she's still got it man season three they, they find a way and holy moly yeah and you know even like but she's also like when you get glimpses of like i think earlier liam i described the split as daytime and nighttime laura palmer but she also kind of does when uh she's like nighttime is my time which sounds like a corny line kind of until you realize like there's literally a very specific duality happening she can really turn on the like homecoming queen charm too. Like there's a lot to it beyond just like sort of the the scream queen trauma porn aspect to it for lack of a better phrase because she's just going through it so constantly, but um yeah, I don't, it's very it's really power, like even just sitting here like listening to you describe that scene like just makes me sad. Like I don't know. <laughs> yeah yeah man and yeah like um unraveling like what the reality of that situation is i don't think i immediately realized that that's what was happening with her dad um with like Like in in that scene when he walked out yeah or like with the abuse just because like there's a few other moments where it's like it's the bob guy or it like fluctuates between them so for a while i i was under the impression while watching the movie that the abuse was metaphorical and not literal mm-hmm. um because i thought it was sort of illustrating more of like the the loss of innocence the uh, the spiraling you know the uh, the destructive tendencies that are on display um but at a certain point i sort of clued into into what was happening but um, yeah, initially I thought it was like uh, metaphorical, which made me kind of uncomfortable with the choice because I was like, it seems kind of weird to use incest and, and sexual assault metaphorically. So I, I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
No, it's, yeah, it is literal and like, I guess. And that's um, not better. That's still, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bob is like, I don't, I, what would you even call Bob? He's like this. Is he, is he like a demon? Because he later he yes, like he like sucks yes, blood yeah, out of a sweater and yeah. throws it on the floor. Like yeah, I don't know. he is he is kind of a demon, and he also like yeah, he's not like a human being. Like he's not a person. He's kind of like an okay. evil spirit who has lived for like hundreds of years. Oh shit! And so he like he like possesses Leland, and like he's the one that makes Leland do what he does, including uh, which, the stuff with Teresa. Yes, all of it. Okay. That's when Leland is possessed by Bob. So that's why you see these kind of like, um, if you're looking close enough, you can see the moments where like Bob leaves Leland and you can see like, I I think if I'm remembering correctly in this movie, there is a moment where like, you'll see moments of tenderness from Leland or when he cries or when he feels bad about what he's done. Like that's when that is actually him. You know what I mean? He's not being possessed by Bob. And what's genius about that is it still plays like an abusive parent because that's what happens Mm -hmm. is like they, Mm -hmm. they go and try to like soften it or make it up or act like they didn't mean it. So it's like, it works regardless as to whether in what way a viewer has interpreted it, it still lands, which I guess is just smart filmmaking, but it's also just like, really upsetting mm-hmm. yeah i uh it, and it's 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 also upsetting seeing like donna struggle to figure out what's happening because it's very much like seeing a version of her friend that like didn't exist before um and wanting to help and not even knowing what the problem is is just like i i don't know if like that's like an experience everybody has in that specific of terms but like when someone you care about is like really going through some shit and you can't seem to do anything or like they're doing stuff that's like actively negative but you can't like it's just everything about this movie is just people going through really difficult shit (laughs) and like I think as we've talked about it I've sort of it's sort of like hitting me more and more because I think I don't remember Madeline I think you said it it's like you have a hangover after watching it Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, cause you know, the deeper we've gone into it here, the more I'm just like, fuck man. Like, um, and I think that's what makes when Donna follows Laura to the bar, just like that whole sequence is so fucking miserable. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Cause I think at that point, like she hadn't been able to see just how bad it had gotten, you know? Yeah. And Mm-hmm. it's that and it's just Donna's so out of her fucking element like mm-hmm. and just in a position that she doesn't want to be in and then gets drugged and then gets yelled at for fucking stealing a shirt like that's a thing that matters and um with by these creepy old dudes and also just getting the juxtaposition there between like where Laura is at and where Donna is at where she's very like she knows how to navigate those situations with both speaks to her like level-headedness despite everything going on but also just like the fact that she's in this situation a lot which is fucked up and sad like it all sort of circles back to that um that sequence is also fascinating because i feel like there's a lot of really important information being said that you can't fucking hear (laughs) 
because David Lynch is just like, what if I made the music a very loud? <laughs> and it's like, I tried to turn subtitles on. I was like, there's no way there's subtitles, but maybe there's subtitles. Netflix has a French subtitles option, but not an English one. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Watching the spiral is just really hard. Um, and then like the stuff with Bobby and trying to get the drugs and then, you know, killing a guy and then Laura being so like out of it during that, that it's just hilarious. And it's just like, oh man, um, it's, it's heavy, dude. I hate to condense it to just like, it's heavy, but like, I'm only kind of realizing now the, the impact the movie had on me (laughs) and I'm just like, fuck me. Um, I will say to sort of, you know, skew away from that a little bit because it's kind of difficult to talk about. Um, Visually uh, and in the editing, this movie's like such a treat to look at even though it's kind of shot like TV. Obviously, the cinematographer is somebody who works in TV. And I I struggled to sort of articulate um, what it is that I liked about how the movie looked. But uh, there's just something about it that I, I just... I really enjoyed. I don't, I still don't really know what it was, but I really like how it feels to like watch it. And then obviously, um, there's a lot of really interesting editing going on too. Yeah. Um, visually it's quite different from the show as well. Um, this has a lot more blues going on, a lot of darker colors, whereas the show is a lot more green. And, uh, you know, I got to think that's a, a conscious choice. It really plays into the, the much more downbeat feel that that this movie has and it also uh, makes the movie feel visually distinct from the show you know it uh it it emphasizes that though we're in the same town we've spent so much time in with the previous seasons you know we're we're not here to tell a happy story and so it's it, the town isn't going to feel the same because you know to Laura she wasn't living in the same town that uh people were just bopping around in this right. was like this was this was this was no good yeah that uh that bar set i think the bar sequence might be the standout for me just because it's kind of got everything in it notably um i love the commitment to red like everything's just red whole room is red um the windows are red the decor is red and obviously that leans into like the log lady speech before that but it's also just um I like how small town the town feels, even in the dark underbelly of it. Like that just looks like a fucking dive bar. Like, um, mm-hmm. it's got like a good, like visual consistency in that way. Like, I feel like sometimes when movies try to tap into some like illicit underbelly of a, of a place, like it just sort of turns into like a cliche train wreck of like random stuff. But it's like, no, the dark underbelly here is the woods a dive bar and a fucked up cabin. And that sounds about right for a town that seems like twin peaks. Um, so I, 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 I do appreciate that kind of consistency across the board. And then some of the like more surreal editing choices are really interesting. Um, or even just visual choices like that last sequence in the train car. I think it's a train car. Yeah. Uh, and like the angel just kind of shows up. Um, and earlier in the movie, oh God, I think Laura had been talking about, is it during the, the space thing where she talks about like the angels have abandoned you and nobody's there to help you or anything. And then 
you know, she watches an angel vanish out of a painting, which seems like a bad omen. But then it appears in that like moment of need. And the the girl that she's with, whose name is Renette. Do I have that right? I it just she looks a lot like Donna. So I was really confused. Um, yeah, it's not for a while. I thought it was the Donna actress in a wig. I think it's like Roman. But unfortunately, all I can remember right now is Roman Polanski. And that's definitely not her. No. Um, yeah, let me. Uh, it's a strange name. Oh, it's it's Ronette. Ronette. Okay. I think Ronette. Yeah. Pol- it's Polens like it, it's Polensk. I don't know. Ronette. Oh, just Ron- some weird ass fucking name. Hang on, I might have it too. Okay, one second. Got yeah, Ronette Pulas- Pulaski. Pulaski. Weird. Pulaski. Well, yeah. but what I what well, I noticed in that is like obviously because she's been she was tied up and like thrown around and beat up because obviously Leland is going on a fucking tear at that point. And yeah. uh, but she starts like praying, maybe or like apologizing, just sort of out loud and asking for help. And she sort of her hands become magically untied. And mm-hmm. Laura isn't doing that. Um, she has already kind of resigned herself to the circumstances that she's in, which is a whole different kind of bleak. But I again, it's one of those things where I was expecting the abstract stuff to be harder to understand, but it's like visually it's really compelling but like thematically it's pretty straightforward like why that's happening that way it's because you know i suppose laura sort of felt like she was kind of beyond saving at that point or maybe didn't recognize because i noticed the angel seems to be behind her and she never turns around so maybe she didn't recognize that it was there i don't know but um sorry this this sort of sounds like i'm kind of taking it over by just talking through trying to understand parts of it and i'm sorry because there's just a lot uh but i don't know man it's a it's 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 an experience for sure can't uh, say it's not a movie you can't say it's not a movie we gotta bring back that classic catchphrase that i what was the last time i even said that it's been like a while since i've brought that one back um you know a good, i think a good thing to do is so looking back on like the movie overall um is there a particular like standout scene that either of you have that like really sticks out to you as a good encapsulation of like what the movie is? Or I, I, I I'm loath to say a favorite part cause like it's all pretty depressing, but like, is there a favorite part? Um, I have to give it a think. Yeah, that's okay. Well, for me going in, it was, it was what I thought in my head of as the shrub scene, which I described earlier, um, when she realizes that her dad is the same person as Bob. And this time around, the scene that really stuck with me, um, it's, it's, it's not too different. It's a, of a similar purpose, um, because that's, that's the stuff that really gets me about this movie. It's the scene when Leland is driving the car and she's in the passenger oh seat. Oh, my God. And, and Philip Gerard drives up to them. Um, I did not know what the fuck was going on with this. Yeah. And I, and I recognize, really quick, I did recognize that the sound that starts playing when he drives up behind them is the same sound in the shot of the electrical pole with the number six on it from the trailer park in the first part of the movie. I have no idea what that is supposed to tell me. <laughs> well, uh, in the show, um, this Philip Gerard character, he he <laughs> is often getting possessed by uh, 
a similar spirit, or I don't know if you want to call it a spirit, a similar evil entity that Leland is often getting overcome by, which you know is Bob, the right. dude with long gray hair and jean jacket. Um, Philip Gerard has that going on for him too by a thing called Mike. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm noticing in the credits too that those are just the name, but in capital letters. Yes. Like he's possessed yeah. by yeah. Mike. Like, <laughs> yeah. Bob, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so this scene um, in particular stood out to me because I think it I think it it toes the line really well of like the realistic abuse stuff. But then also the the hint of supernatural that that Twin Peaks is so good at doing, because a lot of times, even in the surrealist sequences, you know, like the stuff in the Black Lodge, um, it's it's off kilter and it's weird but also it's not totally out there it still has one foot in reality typically you know whether that be uh coop being the one in the black lodge and uh responding to what's going on around him you know or whatever i gotta ask really quick when you say coop do you just mean dale cooper or is coop related to like the evil the coop. Bob, like, like, is it a different trilo- thing the trilogy no okay no uh coop coop is in fact just dale that's cooper. just dale cooper we've, okay. we've, we've spent enough time together that much like uh gordon i like to call him coop but quieter um coop, but quieter. yes coop you gotta try this pie um, uh so yeah so this car scene just really struck me i mean laura is just kind of getting confronted with uh the horrors of this small town and her life all at once you know there's like there's this there's the the weird mike thing going on and then there's also her dad this person that she's supposed to trust and so like when she just desperately asks him afterwards like who is that man he he looked familiar to me but she says it with such such like fear um in her voice and you know she's she's looking to her dad this person that she already knows is evil but she's still like looking to him for advice and he's not helping her at all it's just such a uh, like an unrelenting assault of a scene and so that really yeah he, that like he got starts my like spin, he starts like mentally spinning his wheels where he's like you don't know him do you know him like he's like no fucking help at all and he's just like these mechanics have to go back to their jobs and he's just sort of like spaced the fuck out and laura's just like sort of left to panic again <laughs> um no, no. i don't know man yeah that whole scene fucked me up because like just and the prospect of just the man just screaming at you from a different car is just really upsetting <laughs> on its own <laughs> Yeah, no, it's like real world panic attack and yeah, fuck man. Yeah, the movie is is like relatable. I can and, I can have enough of those then, on my it, own. Yeah, the movie it's it's relatable, but then it it just takes the 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 it panic and pushes it a stuff little bit. To, to an extreme, you know, that you would never that you would never uh, ever hope to endure. You know, uh, yeah. So it just it's it's so extreme. Uh, Matt, did you uh, come up with one? Or are you still trying to like, or is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think it's one... fine if there's not one. Like, I no, get it. I don't know if this is like my favorite scene, but I do. Yeah, when Laura takes Donna like out on her like escapade with like uh, <laughs> those dudes. Um, all the f- yeah, all the gross men, and yeah, like 
doing coke and um yeah like stripping and stuff i think that's the one that really like stands out to me because yeah it like it was alluded to in the show but it's like a whole different thing to, oh like, it was see that even... side of laura okay yeah yeah i mean like not that scene in particular but, but just the kind of that thing she, she was did, up like, to stuff yeah like you knew that she did like coke and she um like you also knew that her and ronette um like they I don't know that they were prostitutes, but they're do- yeah, they're yeah. doing something along along well, the lines of that. And you see them with Teresa, and you get this is what started to confuse me is you get that shot where Leland sees Laura consoling Donna, and then it cuts to Laura and Ronette in a bed, and I'm like, is he afraid his daughter's a lesbian? Like I didn't understand. <laughs> and that's what I, that's genuinely what I thought it was at first. Um yeah. I was trying to like figure that out, but yeah. Um I mean yeah, it wouldn't really surprise of... anybody if Leland Palmer was a bigot, like <laughs> <laughs> No. Yeah, he's he's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, you do kind of I don't know, like I do feel bad for him in a way. Um because yeah, there are there are like he just um Rewise like plays those moments well where he like you know breaks out of the grasp of of Bob and like you can tell he's just like so upset with what has happened. Yeah, he can wring the empathy out of like yeah. the little bits he gets to like be empathetic because he's really not given a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and we already talked about the music. God, the music's good. The music in the in the bar slaps so hard i don't yeah. know what, that song is so good if you like this you're gonna like the show because yeah the, there's lots of good music in the show and then in the last season like they always have like a band play the roadhouse um <laughs> and like actual bands like a like real nine band inch, nine inch nails plays oh the my roadhouse. god eddie vetter is there too do you want a song yeah. bro what the fuck <laughs> Yeah, it's Cuomo. What an omission! Did they did they let Michael Sarah play the road? <laughs> no, but that would have been great. Yeah, but they they let James play the Roadhouse, Corey. Oh my and, God. and if I could just give you a bit of direction, Corey, if you could uh, press the button that is on the very left, third row down. <laughs> this, yeah. Is that the song that, he sings? That, that's that's James's greatest moment. That's right. Why, yeah. Why does James co- kind of look like a greaser? Anyway, but yeah, it's weird because he. Oh, yeah. I think what's so <laughs> about him is that he like he kind of like caricatures as a bad guy. Like he has a motorcycle. Yeah. He he like he tries to act tough, but he's he's not at all, and he's also just kind of like just like dumb <laughs> i don't know yeah he seems, he's kind of like i don't know like yeah. empty-headed <laughs> yeah totally and sorry is that that's his like greatest moment you were saying like <laughs> i would say so yeah 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 because yeah. yeah. it's, it's a callback to the original series so he okay. plays that song twice and uh <laughs> it's a sight to behold <laughs> plays it back to back somebody in the crowd's just like play that same song <laughs> 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 um that's yeah that sounds wild i gotta oh uh the I I after the the really heavy loaded conversation we just had filled with all sorts of terrible stuff. I hate 
this feels like a really weird transition to make, but can we talk about how great the fashion is? Oh, yeah. Because, like, there's, like, everybody's got really great sweaters, good autumn looks going on, cool jackets, you know, cool cool coats. Like, everybody just looks really cool. Yeah. And I think, yeah, but- yeah everybody looks great. I, I think I need to get the message I sent Liam earlier because it was really funny because <laughs> I was talking about... um. Oh yeah, something about how you wanted to dress. <laughs> I said, as Laura I said, Palmer for I, Halloween. Yeah, I said because we were talking about the fact that Keiki was really upset that Cheryl Lee is apparently wearing a wig. I didn't even notice she was wearing a wig, so I didn't think it mattered. Um, did you notice she was wearing a wig, Madeline? Did you- no, but now that you mention it, like her hair looks extra floofy in the bang area. Okay. So- yeah, yeah, that that makes sense to me. Okay, so yeah, I said a joke because we were talking about the wig, and I was like, "That's my Halloween costume this year." And then uh, I was like, um, "She's got great fashion. I would dress like Laura Palmer, and I stand by that." Uh, but yeah. then I said, "The daytime outfits. I don't think I could pull off the other ones." <laughs> That's all. And then- wait until wait until you meet Audrey Horn. She has some great outfits. Yeah, fashion icon. I think mm-hmm. I genuinely think like Laura Palmer is, uh, and and Donna to her credit, fashion icons, just like great big sweaters and just like skirts, just like cool cool fall looks. And that's the le- bo- that's the levity we could use right now is good fall looks. And Bobby, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Bobby with the plaid around his waist, I dig it. Bringing it back, <laughs> I was there. I was there. <laughs> um, yeah. shit. Uh. We haven't really talked about the Black Lodge yet, and it's the last thing I want to get in because we have been going for a long time. There's a lot to get to, but like compared to how it works on the show, like the because like the ending is like Cooper's in the lodge, uh, she ends up in the lodge. I don't know why she's in the lodge. I guess because she put the ring on is why she's in the lodge. But like, is there any like greater significance to that that I'm I'm maybe not understanding, or is that just kind of? I think because she was like killed by Bob and like Bob kind of like lives in the lodge. Right. Um, Cause Leland ends up in the lodge and he's like floating in the air. Yeah. Yeah. I think that anyone who's like significantly tied to Bob in any way kind of like ends up um, in there. And yeah. cause we've got like that kid with the mask and that old lady. And I'm like, I don't even know what the fuck's going on with that. I didn't even try. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's good. It gets complicated. What do you think, Liam? Um, no, that makes a lot of sense to me too. That that's like Bob's little layer. Um, that that makes sense th- throughout the whole show because it, it's a place that's visited often, Corey. And uh, um, all I know is Laura Dern shows up in a blue wig at one point in there. I don't know when that happens, but I saw it on oh, Twitter. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. That was a big moment that Laura Dern finally makes her. Uh, grand appearance in mm-hmm. Twin Peaks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Good casting on that one. Um, but yeah, I think... Laura Dern's good casting Lodge, in everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I th- yeah, I think the Black Lodge is is mostly uh, a, a, a source. Well, not a source for evil, but it's like the it's like the the, the waiting area. Like the a lobby. Evil purgatory? So really hell purgatory? Yeah. Is yeah, it hell? Yeah. Like, how religious is David Lynch? Like... Is this uh, meant to be like afterlife? I don't know. Well, or like, I don't know. The Black Lodge, as it's introduced in the show, um, there's a character called Hawk who is like an indigenous <laughs> police officer. Okay. 
And he kind of like speaks about this kind of like legendary space in the forest. Um, and it's like, it's, it's in nature. Like it's entered. You have to go to this special, like, I don't know, ring of rocks. I, I haven't rewatched the show in so long. I've been holding it. It's like my emotional support show. <laughs> right. So I've been like You're waiting, waiting until I'm at my really lowest. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there is this kind of like, yeah. Like, I don't know that it would be like a Christian yeah. kind of hell, but like maybe more of like a naturalistic or yeah. just spiritual generalized. Like, yes. The, the the Black Lodge is David Lynch's most spiritual creation, but he won't explain it to you. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah. Thank you both for coming to this therapy session, I guess. That's kind of what this ended up feeling like. It's just like someone's going to read our interpretations of this movie and make like weird judgments about us or something. Uh, why don't we uh, why don't we do, just go around and do final thoughts? Oh yeah, I, it's yeah. I was I was ready to just like gloss over that. Um, I mean, I, I think over the course of this conversation, it's become clear like the degree to which I was moved by it. I guess I hadn't even really noticed um, in the initial like aftermath of seeing it. But like this is like this is like a masterpiece. Um, not for being perfect, like you said, Liam. But I think it it really cleverly balances like obtuse surrealism with like clever thematic preoccupations and just straightforward thematic preoccupations it's somewhat accessible based on what you'd expect but really it's it's really um the linchpin uh if i if i'll give myself a pun really is uh cheryl lee and laura and the performance that you get and just watching hopelessly as this person whose fate is already sealed just has like the worst week of her life. And that's like really difficult, but uh, I don't know if I want to use the word rewarding, but I feel like there's a lot to be gained by watching it and just working through that. Even if it's not something you'd want to watch all the time. And I feel like it's really bolstered by really strong filmmaking craft. Like we talked about in the editing or in how it's shot or in the music, it really comes together and it's just kind of like boggling to behold, honestly. Like it's it's kind of remarkable that it exists and is a thing. Mm-hmm. That's that's a good way to put it. Um, for me, dude, this it's just it's such a draining movie. I've I've felt that from talking about it tonight. I mean, um, we all sound so tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's just uh, it's like throughout the course of this conversation, you know, I was so excited to talk about Twin Peaks. And then as we got into the heart of the story, I can just feel myself like getting sadder and sadder. And and I and I felt that when watching the movie too, um, that first time we see Laura walking down the street and we hear the Twin Peaks theme after 45 minutes of spending time with these other characters. And it's just like so euphoric to me. Um, a little later in the movie, uh, maybe an hour and a half later or so after we've seen all the stuff that Laura, uh, this, this girl that we didn't really know from watching the first two seasons, we see everything she's been through. And um, there's this scene of her just walking down the sidewalk again, um, or her same neighborhood. And it's, it's just so sad. And it's, it's watching that was just so different than the joy i felt just an hour later seeing her do that same thing you know and uh um i've i've said before that i have a love for like 
unsolved mysteries and disappearances and i love uh just like pondering about uh what happened to people that were never heard from again you know i the the idea that someone out there knows what's happened to someone who has disappeared or has been murdered without um someone being caught the the fact that someone out there knows about it um and if they don't know then the person who died knows what happened to them um that is so so haunting to me and i love reading about stuff like that um you know it's really morbid but i, I do it a lot and this movie was like such a fuck you to me where it's 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 like the movie was saying like you you want to know what happened to this girl um and you want you want the mystery to be solved well this is it and uh it's like i i kind of want to take back asking for it you know because actually seeing what happened to her this the train car sequence um is just so hard to sit through and it and it as as much as the movie leaves things ambiguous i think it it really does a good job at answering uh kind of the the biggest questions of of the series it's just what what happened to laura palmer and uh seeing it presented so plainly is just so deeply affecting and so it is a 10 out of 10 movie but if i get to it again uh, i think uh, i'll need a really good reason you know a lot of time will have had to pass or i'll, I'll have to do another podcast or something because <laughs> it, it takes a lot out of this thing either a lot of time or just another podcast <laughs> Um, I suffer for my art. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Final takeaway. I'm just glad, like, I love the world of Twin Peaks. And for every, like, little addition to it beyond the first two seasons, which is, like, all that a lot of people thought they were going to be getting for a while, I just enjoy it very much. Um, and yeah, I do find that, like, I definitely get more out of the movie having watched the series. And, and like Liam was saying, like they talk, it's just so like interesting to see all the things that were kind of like hinted at or like referenced in the show. Like you see them actually happening in the movie. Um, like the train car scene is kind of like talked about a lot um, in the investigation and to like see it happening is just like so crazy and surreal. Um, so yeah, yeah, I completely agree that it's like, it's not, it's a movie, like it's rare that there is a movie that you really enjoy, but you don't want to rewatch it. <laughs> like you're like, yeah, I yeah. can't watch that again. Yeah, there's a handful <laughs> um, of those. Hey? It, yeah, it is one of those uh, for sure. But yeah, I think it really contributes um, to Twin Peaks and yeah, grounds it in like, some very like sad, scary, real things um, that Lynch couldn't do with the show. Um, but that was like just a very like complimentary part to the TV show and makes it all the better. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah that's so, a great way to put it. Yeah. And um, thank you so much for coming back on. This is definitely a bit of a tonally different thing than Legally Blonde too. <laughs> And <laughs> and obviously, like it took, it sounds like it took a bit out of us. So you know, not only because you know it's a long episode, but it's a lot to go through. So thank you so much for doing it. We really appreciate it. It's been no great. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on at some point, maybe for something a little bit less uh, 
draining. They did confirm <laughs> Legally Blonde three for twenty twenty two earlier yeah. this week, so we can look at look at that. I'm sure we'll find a good reason before that. But um. I would <laughs> love if after you know if the world ever goes back to normal, we should all go see it in theaters together with Laura. Yes. Oh, of course. If that doesn't happen by 2022, oh my god. Dude, if that doesn't happen by 2022, I think um, we'll all have had to break out the emotional support Twin Peaks, because that'll be fucking depressing. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I almost (laughs) was going to start rewatching Twin Peaks now, but Jake was like, wait, wait, wait. Like, we should wait until it's, like, the dead of winter and we haven't seen our friends and, like, we haven't left the house. And all we're eating is like, I don't know, like gray things. And, and we're, yeah, you know, like we need to sadness. wait. <laughs> Jake is a masochist. Jake. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I like. I do love that he's like, nah, you have to let this get way worse. <laughs> yeah, he was like, no, 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 we're going to need this later. Yeah, but like, like, but like, I, I get it. But like, woof, he's right. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, like that's, that's yeah. Like, it's like the opposite of the cliche, right? Yeah. Like your boyfriend looks you in the eyes and he's like, it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> And now I'm like, I, I'm like looking over at like my stack of Blu-rays because I don't own that many. I have like certain things that I like a lot. And I'm like, I'm gonna have to break these out soon, but I can't yet. Yeah. Yeah. You have to hold off. Yeah. It's almost like I swear. I think, yeah, I'm definitely a bleaker one in the relationship. And I get, yeah, I don't know. He's way more steady. And so I think it was almost like him knowing me too well. Like, no, <laughs> this is a he's tool like, in yeah. my, he's like, if my we, arsenal if we, for living with you through the winter. Like, <laughs> If we burn this now, we're fucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's honestly like kind of, that's kind of nice that he's that's like, really yeah. Sweet. Oh. yeah. <laughs> um, also, can I leave everybody with one funny bit before we get out of here that I saw a couple weeks ago? You know that, like, people have, like, a t-shirt that's, like, the homecoming picture, and it's, like, who killed Laura Palmer is, like, the text on it. Um, Mm -hmm. I saw that, but somebody edited it to say, so it's a picture of Laura Palmer, and it says, who wants to be a millionaire? (laughs) (laughs) I love that. (laughs) And, uh... I think now now that I've really been through the depths of it, that's got newfound hilarity for me, but I thought that might lift our spirits a bit. I could barely even say it, but just... Yeah. <laughs> I'm picturing Regis Philbin like, who killed Laura Palmer? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, Was it A, Bob, B, Leland? <laughs> the great thing, too, is that like, I feel like David Lynch would like... Love that. Like he just get a little a little kick out of that. He, he's like, you get a giggle. Yeah, yeah. You'd get like a like a wink and a nod kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, dude has a sense of humor. Totally oh, for sure. All right. Well, on that lighter note, let's uh, let's get out of here because this has been this has been an experience, and uh, <laughs> I th- I think we've earned this podcast ending. Um, yeah. So thank you all once again for listening to another episode of They Made Another One. You can find us all over the internet on Twitter at they made another, which is all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Apple and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as they made another one. We never ask for these because we're bad podcasters. Uh, if you use those services and they let you rate and review us, leave a nice five-star rating or like a 10 out of 10 rating. I don't know how the scales work and say something nice. We, you know, gets the podcast out to more people. And I think we would just like that. That just sounds like a good time. Uh, you can reach us via email at TMAO podcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments. And this week, honestly, just your take on twin peaks in general. I think that would be cool to hear 
Our fantastic thumbnail art is done by Jade Dickinson, who you can find on Instagram at Jade Sketches. Usually, our custom-made soundboard clips are courtesy of Jason DeLine, who you can find on Instagram at DeLineMan. Today, they were courtesy of our friend Keiki, and that's what we tell, call him most of the time, so that's the credit he's going to get. We'll find, uh, we'll plug something later if he wants it, I don't know. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marshmallow, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Mallow. And Madeline, if there's anything you'd like to plug, go for it. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, I don't really have anything to plug. I don't, yeah, I don't like plugging myself. <laughs> Um, right. Oh, yeah. I think we did that last yeah. time and you just said something. Yeah. You, yeah. yeah say, I, have you, an, I got another one. Um, I just had really good for dinner. Uh, my boyfriend ordered my favorite Indian food. Um, so if you're ever in Montreal, I'm going to plug. It's called Buffet Maharani. Really good Indian food. And this past Thanksgiving, they sent me a happy thanksgiving email like they oh said God. happy thanksgiving to all their like most loyal customers so that's when i knew i was like oh i order from here often <laughs> like not a lot of people wish me happy thanksgiving but buffet maharani did today oh my god that's so, so yeah. fucking cool. yeah no uh link in the description holy shit <laughs> wow. shout out yeah everybody go there do you think do you think i'm in their uber eat zone I would totally be down. Dude, I, I don't think you are. <laughs> They're not going to drive like two and a half hours. Oh my God, that'd be it's, so It funny. sounds like they, the customer service is off the charts. Yeah, as well. oh, like, that's what I'm saying. There was no like plug in their Happy Thanksgiving email though. It wasn't like Happy Thanksgiving Here's a buy coupon. your dinner from us. Yeah. No, it was just like Happy Thanksgiving. That's so sweet. That's yeah. awesome. Anyway, so. Yeah, fuck yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Great. Um, yeah. And uh, I don't know how I'm going to top that. I don't know. You can find me on Twitter. You can look at my shitty tweets at Mr. Corey Price. You can find me on Letterboxd. And you can hear me talk about a different show with uh, our buddy Neil on MK PodQuest, where we are going through every episode of the classic fantasy television show, Mortal Kombat Conquest. And that comes out every Friday. And um, with that out of the way, you can catch us here next time for more. They made another one. Oh, uh, Corey, also hit the How's, how's Annie one. That's a, that's a good ender. Oh, yeah. I'll just hit and then hit it, uh, hit it a couple more times, though. Like, make it like... Yeah, yeah. Oh. How's Annie? How's Annie?